Otherwise on SAFM. A very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. My producer is Hazel Marcuseni, and Derek Fordyce is our technical producer for today. Our contact details are 0892 10 Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Today we talk to author of Soweto, 16 June 1976, and historian Sue Krecher about the women who participated in the Soweto uprising. Is your child being bullied at school? Well, listen up as Gail Dore, a life skills trainer and family counsellor, gives us advice on how we can bully-proof our children. And finally, occupational therapist Carla Krobler has come up with an early childhood development checklist for children from birth to seven years. But first, our lunch bite for today, and it's about self-awareness. Judith says, I want to find out who I am and give up letting everyone else define me. As women, we've been trained to look for our identity outside ourselves. We've been raised to be someone's daughter, someone's wife or partner, or someone's mother. What others think of us has has been who we are. Even when we are successful professional women, we find ourselves looking outside for identity and validation. This habit is embedded deep in the marrow of our bones, even when we look strong and self-defined. An important part of our recovery is finding out who we really are, not who we have been told we should be, not who we think we should be, and not who we image ourselves to be. Who is this person I call me? She has the potential of being one of the most interesting persons I've ever met, yet I hardly know her. So today I have the opportunity to begin or continue an inner journey that can last the rest of my life. Otherwise, on SAFM. And RSA, by the way, being the Republic of South Africa. Welcome to Sue Krecher, who is a historian and co-author of the book Soweto, 16 June 1976, which was published in 2010. Hello, Sue. Hi, Shadow. Thank you for your patience. I know we're supposed to talk to you yesterday, but you know, it, no, was, that's fine. it was beyond our control. Um, interesting uh, that you co-wrote this book. Um, what can you give us a background and, and, and frame the book for us? Well, it was actually um, a, a collaborative effort um, between uh, five of us, mm-hmm. and we actually put it together for the 25th anniversary. So, what you would have read, the anniversary of the uprising. So, what you would have read has been the, the, the imprint, and we sold really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you know, one thought, well, it will take off during the um, the actual uh, anniversary. But in fact, it's it's gone into various um, incarnations, and we're very proud of that fact. Um, and what happened was um, there was we felt we felt very strongly that someone should we should observe the uprising, and there didn't seem to be any uh, anyone taking the initiative. Mm-hmm. And also. Um, we had done a lot of education work and other project work in oral history. So we felt, um, with our co-authors, uh, we had Steve Labello, Gandhi Malangani, um, and um, Dumi Dumisani in Changazi, as well as myself and Elsie B. Punk, uh, and we, um, we started taking up possible interviews through the, the five of us that knew people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Gandhi and Steve and um, Dumasani, you know, very familiar with people in Soweto. Mm. And they went into Shabin's, uh, they went 
to various meeting places. Um, some of it was very tragic because a lot of those people never finished school. Mm. And I think it's not told often. We did have three women that we interviewed yes. with that group, which uh, I think that, that, that girls were just as um, active as boys. Um, if, if you go and look at the photographs um, in the Hector Peterson Museum, which I love, I think it's a fantastic museum, mm-hmm. um, you, you've got to go there with a mission that says, let me pick out in terms of photographs where the women are or the girls. Mm. I think it's very important also to know that these people were children. Yes. Um, you know, they were sort of average age of 13 or 14, some of them even younger. The concept of youth, um, basically, you know, being a grouping at that time in the 1970s really wasn't uh, a particularly widely used one. And I think saying youth means that you, you, you think you're looking at an um, older group than they were. Mm-hmm. But what I was saying is... Um, I'd love someone, and I couldn't find out if they had to actually go through those photographs and see what lens the photographer was looking through, not uh, practically, but, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and you will see the girls there. And I, I picked up a couple of co- quotes that I had um, during the time, uh, one of which quotes uh, the impact of the Defence Force. And I, I remember um, as, a, as a first-year teacher standing on the, the um, steps of the uh, looking onto Jan Smuts and watching these um, uh, helicopters going across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Defence Force came, which upped the ante considerably. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of dogs, which um, also upped the ante. Um, mm-hmm. And this one journalist talks about um, how he says, uh, when they set the police dogs onto the children, onto the kids, he says, I was. I saw moments of real courage, especially from the girls. Mm, mm. Now, that isn't something that people know about. Yes. The other uh, quote that I found that said, there they were, kids with shiny black shoes and little tunics. Wow. You know that um, standard uniform that kids had in yes. those times of the yes. little uh, black tunic and the white shirt. Mm. And they were, uh, with all the other singing freedom songs and holding on to one another. Well, Which Sue, I found very poignant. So that, that, that's really my question, is, 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 you know, every time the story is told of June 16, 1976, um, we get a lot of commentary from men who were present, who were up front, who, who are men today, but of course there were kids then. But very little is known about the girls and, and their participation. What was their role? Mm. We see them in pictures, as you say, uh, but almost in a supportive role, you know, almost yes, in the background. The foot soldiers. They're the foot soldiers, but really, we hardly know their names as much as we mm. know the men mm. that took part. Mm. We hardly know what, where they are today if some of them are still there. And others have given up because their voices haven't been heard. They just refuse to, to, to even give comments of yeah. the day. Yeah. So, you know, it was important for us to speak to you. And I'm glad you're bringing up the fact that, you know, s- some people recognize the tunics and, and recognize that the, the girls were brave. But we, we need more of those stories. Do they mm. exist mm. anywhere? Sorry, what did you say? Do, do they exist anywhere, those stories? That's what I was trying to work out. Um, one would have to do quite an important archival search and um, to get hold of, try and get hold of the people that we talked to. Mm. I mean, one of them, Katie, uh, she, she happened to be working at that, that I mentioned we were doing this book, and she said, well, I was there. Mm-hmm. So it's often a matter of luck. But, you know, a lot of the um, archival stuff, including the death book, 
which is um, in in the um, museum, is an archive in itself. Mm-hmm. And Ritz has got a large number of um, archival work, uh, archival uh, collections as well. And and you know it would it would be someone's master's thesis basically. Or, or you know, someone who went and and did this for a more accessible and not so academic um, mm, mm. book. And I mean, I think the book we were involved in is is a nice one in terms of um, basically making sure that we try and hi- you know highlight the the tragic experiences of some of those kids who never went back to school. So Sue, when when you find an opportunity and when you tell a story to somebody who doesn't know. I just need to know how you interpret what you know and if if it's in line with, I suppose, what we talk about every year on June 16. Do, do you think we, we have the right story, uh, according to your, your research and co-authoring the book? What sort of story do you tell? Um, I start everything with myself. Mm, mm. Because um, I was... a. I was involved with sort of student activism to some degree, but I... Um, I was, I, I knew quite a few people had gone into exile. Mm-hmm. And so, and as I said, um, one of the, the, the um, things that, that I remember were these helicopters going over. Mm-hmm. And I think the Army Defense Force is part of that story. But what I say is that I, at Vips, was being, learning, you know, learning more, act, um, participating in more activist um, uh, situations, but I also was a person of privilege. Um, but I start there with the helicopters because I think it's a really interesting place to start. Mm, mm. And what were they doing? Why were they going there? Um, uh, what's, who, was, who was in fact um, in them? What impact they had? And I would start by giving that image of uh, young white students mm. um, basically experiencing a very minor part of that. Um, and then... You know, it would be very nice, which what we did when it first launched the book, is to get a sort of round table, if you like, yes. of people now to reflect on it. Um, and I think they they will um, reflect in a more honest way because it was um, it was heroic, but as I said, we don't talk much about the casualties, mm, not mm. The, the physical casualties. So and I think we would we would very much use a, a sort of um, storytelling mode. To find out more about the girls, and oh, the, the other thing I wanted to tell you is there was this group of nuns that used to run a school, nuns. and they they hid a lot of children and protected them because you know they were kind of off limits certainly for a, a certain length of time, uh, and so was Regina Mundi, but the police attacked Regina Mundi. But those nuns were also extraordinary women who were very courageous. But tell me, where were the nuns in Soweto? Yes, there were white nuns and black nuns who, um, I think it was from Charles, I can't remember um, mm. the mm. the actual um, place. It, you know, there was a nunnery next door, and then they ran a school. The Catholic Church had a lot of schools in Soweto. i tell you what, Sue, I'm, I'm, yes. going, I'm going to ask you and task you if you have the time, because and, and, you just said something very interesting about a round table, and I think I'm going to provide the table here. Okay. And hopefully then you can um, kind of co-opt your, your co-authors uh, and, and let's have that round table. How's that? That sounds wonderful. Yes, because I think, I think while we at Youth Month, 
we may as well do this and just and and and, and just see if we can trace the women, but mostly see what all of us remember about mm. about mm. especially those that were there from different because you 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 say you were you you talk from a, a privileged student at Wirtz, mm. and you know there were other people um i suppose you you learned as well in your co authoring about what was going on as you were watching the helicopters, but what was going on on the other side of 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 mm. Johannesburg in Soweto. And it was incredibly hard to find information for the next two weeks. Yeah. You had no idea of the casualties or anything because they shut the weather down. So shall we shall we then uh, talk about the the round table in a few weeks and or a few yeah. days and, and see if you know what both of us can come up with? I'll do that. Um, I'm going to just try and track down a couple of the people um, mm-hmm. that are sort of dispersed. But even if you got some of them. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be all of them, but as, as, as you know, as, as many as we can find. Yeah. To, to yeah. just uh, tell the different stories that are there to be told, but also uh, trying to remember which women were there. Yes. Or young girls were there at the time. Uh, that would be a very nice starting point. I think so. Well, okay, I, I think well, I'm very available for that. Oh, um, I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay, yeah. so, so we'll be in touch and then and we'll, 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 we'll go back and, and announce this when we're ready, huh? All right. Thank you. Sue, thank you so much for thank your time you. and your patience. Okay. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh, we're going to have a round table. I'm excited now. Because there were girls, there were women, but who are they? Where are they? And what did they do? What were their roles as such? Um, so we will put that round table together, and uh, Sue Crocker is going to help me. She's an historian and uh, has a master's degree in history from Vets University, and she's published extensively on various fields of history, both for academic and other purposes. So we'll keep you, uh, in, yeah, keep you advised as far as that is concerned. So bullying at school. I mean, there's a video that's gone viral, just as, and we didn't know about this when we invited um, Gail Daw to speak with us. She's a life skills trainer and family counselor. We'll talk to her about how we can bully-proof our children, and it's because she's written a book that's called Bully Proof, and we talk to Gail Daw after this. Every word in our constitution signifies a victory against inequality. Against inequality. So never underestimate the power of those words. Instead, choose to understand them. Section 11 of the Bill of Rights states that everyone has inherent dignity and the right to have their dignity respected and protected. protected. SAFM, seize your power. Know your rights. This is a message from South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM. How to bully-proof your child? Well, I'm joined now by Gail Daw, who's written a book on, on, it's called Bully Proof, but it's a practical guide for parents, teachers, and South African schools. Gail, we couldn't have spoken to you at a better time. Hello, welcome. Hi, hello, Shadow. I mean, have you seen that video that went viral today? No, I haven't. Well, it's, um, it's, I will certainly look for it, though. It's two young men in a classroom. One is being beaten up badly. And, and you know, and, and it just brings it home. So, I mean, I, I saw it just before I came on to talk to you. And it's ugly. And it, it just brings the, the, the point home of, of bullying. But what are we talking about when we talk bullying? What is it? Bullying is a very specific behavior. It is... Um, you can define it by looking at four specific aspects. The first one is it is there's an imbalance in power. 
Okay. A bully needs to gain power. And the, the, well, look for children who are less powerful. There will be this imbalance. You can notice it in either the bully is bigger or stronger or smarter or has better social skills, is more articulate, is prettier, more popular. There is an imbalance in power. That, that's the first marker. The, the second one is that there is an intent to hurt. This is not a mistake. This is not an accident. This is not an argument between two evenly matched uh, uh, peers. This is uh, intentional. And um, it, it is specifically because the bully wants to gain power by hurting someone else. You know the saying, a bully likes to walk tall by making others feel small. Mm. This is the second part of it. And the third part is it's repetitive. Bullying is not a once-off. It doesn't happen once. It happens over and over and over again. And once that has taken place, the, the child who has been targeted by the bully is feeling so helpless and so powerless that the bully actually has control. And that's the fourth one, the establishing of terror, the establishing of, of fear by control and dominating the target of the bullying. Now, and, and that essentially is bullying. When you give us a profile of, of the bully, you, you said maybe smarter, maybe... Are, are bullies from wealthy families mainly? Bullies are from all walks of society. Hmm. Uh, one would like to say that perhaps, you know, the caricature of the bully, the big guy with less social skills, who's not academically adept, is likely to bully others. But we have discovered that that is not the fact. Mm. That's not the truth. Um, bullies can be uh, extremely well-liked by everybody, uh, have excellent social skills, be ex- good at schoolwork, good on the athletics field, uh, come from very well-off parents. Mm. And at the same time, bullies can come from, you know, less socioeconomic um, status areas. So there is, there's no hard and fast rule in terms of where a, a bully comes from or what is a specific breeding ground for bullies. Can, can we assume that the bully is being bullied at home as well or was bullied as a, as a younger child or a, a, a toddler for that matter? Not necessarily, but that can be the case. Mm. Um, that's, that would be the kind of child who becomes what we call a bully victim. Okay. Uh, a child who is bullied at home or somewhere in the neighborhood has that feeling that that, that extreme helplessness, that sense of uh, powerlessness that they need to compensate for. So will go to school and pick on others you know, younger or smaller than themselves or with less power than themselves in order to compensate for that feeling. But very often bullies have learned that aggressing on other people gives them status, gives them mm. power. Mm. And they enjoy that. They like it. They want the power. Now, now the, the, in this video that we saw, there was an onlooker who seemingly did nothing, and, and we don't know who they are. But uh, uh, does the onlooker then who, who just stands there, are they, are they also possibly fearful of, of, of turning the, the victimhood towards themselves? That could very well be the case. With many onlookers, they don't actually know what to do. There's a fear that if I intervene, um, I'm going to draw the attention of the bully onto myself, and then I'm going to be bullied. 
um, or I'm going to be attacked, there is a, a moral dilemma. Should I intervene? Shouldn't I intervene? If, if I intervene and it goes wrong, there could be consequences. Uh, if I report it, will it be paid attention to or will I be seen by other people as being a tattletale or a snitch? And children get caught up in what I call a, a paralysis analysis, hmm. where they, they get stuck. They don't know what, what the right course of action should be. But, 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 but Gail, the onlooker in this, in this video was an adult. So well, would they be as fearful? Well, um, you, you, one is inclined to think there'd be less excuse for an adult hmm. not to get involved. Hmm. Um, I don't know. One would have to question the adult to find out why not. Hmm. Because they, they actually, well, I, I suppose they are expected and they wouldn't analyze it as much while the action is going on, right? Adults would probably just get involved and analyze it later. Exactly. You would expect an adult to break in immediately and, and pull the aggressor off. Mm, mm. Uh, because what you're describing to me is assault. It is. It's it only is. bullying. It's assault. It was assault and brutal at that as well. Um, but is, can you give us then the profile of the victims? Because we know now who the bully is. But, uh, uh, you know, are you always going to... I, I don't know what kind of person becomes the victim. It's also a very difficult thing because any child, no child is actually safe from a bully. Mm. Bullies will pick on children who are less likely to defend themselves and less likely to offer resistance. But perhaps the, the, the child who is quite tranquil in nature, is a gentle child, is not aggressive, is more likely to become a target. Um, bullies like to pick on children who appear different. So if there's a physical difference, Mm-hmm. or in some way the child has, has drawn the attention of the bully by being taller, shorter, bigger, smaller. Some physical characteristics sometimes triggers it. Uh, a child who's very shy or who maybe has a, a, a speech defect or in some way um, is not sitting in with the norm could draw the attention of a bully. Mm-hmm. But sometimes bullies will want to aggress on anybody at any time. Gail, please stay, on, happens to be there. please stay on the line for me. We've got a lot to talk about because we want to bullyproof our children. We'll come back and talk to you after our news headlines. Certainly. Thank you. It's time for news headlines now with Sir Utile Sarko. Otherwise, on SAFM... My guest is life skills trainer and family counsellor, Gail Daw, who is giving us advice on how we can bully-proof our children. And, you know, Gail, I started talking about physical abuse, firstly, as part of bullying, but it wears many faces, does it not? It does indeed. Um, because people can be taunted, and that's bullying. People, you know, all sorts of things can happen, huh? Uh, verbal bullying is perhaps the most common. Mm-hmm. The, the name calling, the mocking, the laughing at, the making fun of, uh, that most of us grew up with. We, we, we saw it at school. We mm-hmm. understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's the more subtle side. There's the, what we call the relational, uh, or social side of bullying. Mm-hmm. And that is, the objective of that is to ostracize a child, to, to shun them by means of, of, uh, Group, persuading the group to turn mm-hmm. against the child, mm-hmm. uh, gossiping, uh, backbiting, spreading rumors about, mm. 
encouraging others to join in in the bullying and to push a child out of a group is, is very common and not always recognized for being the rather insidious side of bullying that mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, the school is just such a, 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 core, a, 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 a a, a wonderful platform for bullies, right? Because they've, they've got all these children and they've got the crowds and they've got, you know, they've got support, some of them, and this is a place to really wield your, your power, if, if you like. Indeed. So, how do we bully-proof our children? And I saw a nice, a nice uh, quote here from, from your book that by taking concerted action to stop bullying, we're not only making our schools safer, happier places of learning, we're making a valuable investment in the future health of our society. I mean, that's how wide it goes, right? It does indeed. So how do we bully-proof our children? Well, by understanding the nature of bullying ourselves, to recognize what it is. Primarily what a bully wants from a child is a reaction. Mm-hmm. And we teach our children not to react to this. That's the first step. Bully will say something or do something to see a child burst into tears or get angry or fight back mm-hmm. or show some form of emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. We need to tell our children and explain to our children that giving them that reaction is the first step. That's when it really begins. So for a child to get, a, a, a say, for example, a verbal attack, someone says, oh, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny, mm-hmm. to simply look at the bully and say, yeah, probably, and walk away, as if it's the most boring thing they ever heard. <laughs> Immediately, it, it nullifies the whole thing. The bully did not get what he or she wanted. But so, does, that, does that not encourage them to try something else that's even worse? They may. Mm-hmm. They may. Uh, but bullying is never about the truth. Okay. Our children, uh, children often believe what a bully says. Mm-hmm. And, if, if, and bullies don't operate in isolation. They've got, they've got friends. They've got little buddies with them. Mm-hmm. And the buddies will follow suit. So the child who's being targeted is now confronted by a group of children that are saying uh, there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes difficult for a child not to believe that and to think, well, mom, you're telling me that I'm, I'm clever and I'm pretty and I'm uh, socially acceptable and I'm good and I'm all of these wonderful things, but the children at school are telling me something else. Mm-hmm. So we need to assure our children that, yes, bullies will sometimes say things that are not true just to get that reaction out of you mm-hmm. and build our children's self-esteem and self-confidence up by showing them how good they are at things and showing them how more than adequate they are and letting them feel loved and valued and special so that when these attacks come from a bully, it's perceived as, oh, well, that's your perspective. That's your opinion. You're welcome to it. Child walks away. You know, they feel strong within themselves. I, I, I want to believe that, you know, dealing with your child is, is, is one thing, but also if they go to a school, even, even though you've, you've bully-proofed them as much as you can, but if the school almost permits or does not deal with bullying, uh, then you're really working against the tide. Is there anything that can be done by schools to make sure that let's bully-proof the schools themselves? 
a lot can be done. Hmm. Uh, first of all, most, almost every school will have a policy on bullying. They are required to have a policy on bullying, okay. which means that the school should be informed about what bullying is. Hmm. And, the, and teachers should be able to recognize the difference between bullying and normal peer conflict. Hmm. Uh, when a child reports bullying, there needs to be immediate investigation into that report. And, and action needs to be taken. Um, because as you were saying, you know, you can bully-proof your child. You can do, as a parent, everything you can. But persistent and consistent bullying will break even the most resilient child. So, you so said schools you need to take responsibility for what is going on in their playgrounds and in their classrooms. Our constitution says that every child has a right to an education and every child has the right to feel safe and secure at school. So bullying already automatically violates a child's constitutional right. And schools are morally obliged to take action if bullying occurs. That it doesn't always happen um, is a problem. And that is one of the things that I hoped to address in writing Bully Proof. Because there are techniques and there are things schools can do to change that, to, sh to make a shift in, in, in the, the culture of the school, which may have been conducive to bullying, and now it can make a shift to one where the values of tolerance and compassion and, and respect are primary. So, Gail, who should get this book? I would like to see every parent having a copy, simply because bullying can happen at any time. Mm -hmm. You may feel that, well, my child is now in high school, he, he or she is in grade 8, 9, 10. They haven't been bullied. The likelihood is that they won't. Mm -hmm. Not so. It, it can happen any time. And I firmly believe in being uh, forewarned is forearmed. And, and having that knowledge and understanding is, is, is paramount if you're going to truly protect your child and teach your child actually how to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, so I, parents should have this book, but I believe teachers and, and schools all that was, that was my next statement, yes. Mm. Um, teachers and, and schools are at, at the rock face, so to speak, mm. where bullying occurs. Mm. And the more information they have, the more they know and understand what it is, and what they can do to, um, to put a stop to it, uh, we, we recognize that we will never eradicate bullying. It is, unfortunately, part of human nature. Mm. But when it occurs, we can stop that incident immediately before it escalates and before more damage is done. And we can help the child who's being victimized by the bullying, and we can help the bully. Because my, my comment in, in the book about the future of our society Children who are allowed to continue with this kind of aggression are going to take that behavior into adulthood mm, mm. and have difficulties in relationships, in, in um, things like keeping a job. And although um, there are no hard and fast statistics saying exactly how many ch children bullied and became criminals, we do know that quite a number of them do because they've grown up with a sense of entitlement and a, and a sense of, 
you've got it, I want it, I'll take it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you so, know, and yes. I, think, I think social media is not making it easy as well for our children uh, because it goes viral, all this bullying, and, you know, yes. it, 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 it really makes it worse. But, but, and, and you are open to communication because I guess people are going to want to get hold of you, hopefully to invite you to their schools to come and talk to them or even ask you questions via email. Do you have a website, uh, Gail, and, and can people get hold of you? Our website um, will be up and running in about 10 days' time. Okay, okay. So you let us know, right? I will indeed. And that's um, where people will find all the information. But Bullyproof is at all good bookstores? It's at all leading bookstores, and I believe in two to three weeks it will be available as an ebook as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so we'll give the title and your name, and hopefully then when you have your website running, you'll, you'll send it to us. Certainly, I will do that indeed. Thank you for your time, Gail. Thank you so much. And Kate. thank you for writing this book. <laughs> Thank you. Indeed. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bullyproof. Gail Dore. D O R E. And we'll give you that website uh, when it comes. But do get it. I think even if you give it to a friend who has children at school, uh, it's. It, I think it's. It's a nice kind of compilation of the do's and don'ts and making you understand really what bullying is all about. When we come back, we look at early childhood development checklist. If you have a, a child who's a toddler up till seven years, or in fact, if you've just given birth to a child, here's a checklist to make sure that, you know, you don't just look at somebody else's child and then mine's not walking it and yours is walking this early. Have this book, have a checklist and find out what your child is supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Carla Khrabla joins us after this. The winter night in Grahamstown will be getting a whole lot hotter in July when the Standard Bank Jazz Festival returns featuring artists from 15 countries. With SAFM as the official radio partner, you won't miss a second of the best live jazz to take the stage this year. Featuring Lionel Lueke, the Stockholm Jazz Orchestra, Standard Bank Young Artist Nduduzo Makatini, Ray Piri, Bittenberg and Oliver Mdukuti. Make sure you book now at nationalartsfestival.co.za and join SAFM in Grahamstown from the 2nd to the 11th of July for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Otherwise, on SAFM. Carla Hrabla is an occupational therapist, joins me now on the phone. She's written the book Early Childhood Development Checklist. Hello, Carla. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. You know, yesterday I was talking to somebody who was also talking about children and how under the ages of six uh, we should be interacting with them more. And they introduced me to something I didn't know. They called it the CQ as opposed to IQ. And it was child awareness intelligence that we need to uh, 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 kind of develop within ourselves. Yes, yes. You've heard of child awareness intelligence? Yes, I have. I didn't know this. You see, it helps, it helps talking to people like you. So tell us about this checklist. Who should get it? Why is it important to have one? Um, I actually developed it for, for moms and for dads because we never know when a child should do a which skill and when they should be able to say, for example, know how to cut with the scissors or to hold a pencil correctly. And um, we as moms do tend to stress. <laughs> and this is just a guideline to show you at what age a child should be able to accomplish which skill. And then, um, yeah, when, when you need to pay attention and maybe stimulate a certain area more. 
Well, I can imagine we, we, we panic a lot, especially as moms, because we're watching the child's every step from birth. Um, and, and, and I remember a friend who, whose child was, was crawling sideways and, and not, not doing what they thought they would be doing, and it drove them crazy. How abnormal is that, in fact? Um, we, we get that. We usually uh, babies start crawling backwards. Some of them, some <laughs> sideways, some actually press on one hand and lift their bum. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's good to know what is seen as normal and what is um, abnormal behavior, if you can call it that. Mm. And then, just when you you should be worried. Um, I think these days, with all the stress we put on our children and all the expectations, sometimes we expect too much. And also to, to guard against that because then, um, yeah, we, we, we raise up an, an anxious child. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the one thing about having a baby, parents immediately start having a conversation with that baby and saying things around the baby. Can the baby hear anything? And what sort of communication should we have with the baby, for, especially when they're born? And those first few months and the first year has, has become... A jargon for the child to understand. Yeah, it's very important when they're born. Um, I think more the closeness and the touch is a more important factor than actually the speech. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, when they get a little bit older, it's just to they listen to your tone of voice and the closeness and eye contact is very important. That's the first line of communication is the eye contact. And then, yeah, um, given a rate of speech, if, for example, you're bathing, then tell them, I'm touching your hand, I'm touching your toes, and tell them you're putting on a diaper, and because they learn from you, and the more you communicate with them, even if it feels quite insipid, just telling them everything you're doing, that's the way in which they learn. And the, the tone of your voice and the way you speak to them and laughing and touching, that's the way in which communication actually develops. Uh, but usually we don't use normal language as well. We we use funny sounds, you know. When, when we talk. <laughs> yeah, we have mum do the kuchi kuchi because we're mums and we love doing that. But actually, uh, parents disagree and professionals disagree about the baby talk and actually just using our own grown-up words. But do what's comfortable for you, but yeah, use the grown-up words as well that they can know. It's not always just a kitty cat, it's a cat. <laughs> and we, we tend to use the diminutive form and saying, oh, the little thing this and the little thing yes, that. Yes. But use the word and say it's a car, not a little car, that they can learn which words are appropriate. And because because that's, you know, the, the quicker they learn that, the more they grasp the language itself because, you know, they need to decipher when they grow up and say, they called it a kitty cat, but now it's supposed to be a cat. You know, how, did I, how do I lose the kitty? Definitely, yeah. We tend to call it little woof and not a dog, mm. and they will use those words until we show them other words or until they get more interaction in preschool with other children, and then they say, uh-oh, this is not the correct word to use. But usually it's not a train smash um, because they do socialize with other children and other grown-ups that will use these words on TV these days, obviously, a lot. So, uh, yeah, um, again, we shouldn't overcomplicate babies and toddlers, but mm. we should pay attention to their skill development, yes. Mm. And, and at what age do, do, do babies, and you should be worried if they don't start doing this, do they show their the, the skills to, 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 to being able to communicate as well, to, to being able to talk? Um, uh, with the talking, it's usually um, by about one year. They will start with the mama, dada, mm-hmm. the, the double vowels. And before that, the, the, the baby talk that, that we spoke about, they will 
vocalize more. Mm -hmm. And the eye contact and turn their head when listening to you and following the sound. And then by about one year, some of them will start saying words. Of course, they understand first. So they can actually follow an instruction mm -hmm. before they will be able to, to uh, talk. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. If you uh, give a child an easy instruction by about 18 months and they're able to follow it, great. Um, if they're about two years and they haven't started talking, I would say take them to a speech therapist just to assess. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and, and of course they're starting to gain their own words at least before two years, right? Definitely. Usually babies by about one year they will start saying words, but like my own child, he was a late talk. He only started um, saying words towards the end of nearly turning two, and now he won't stop talking. So <laughs> we don't need to stress too much, but give a leeway with the guidelines in the book, with the checkers, give a leeway of up to six months. Either mm, way, mm. Um, before you start worrying. But if you do stress, take them to an occupational therapist or speech therapist to assess, then you will have the peace of mind of not to worry. When do you start reading to them? As early as you can. Really? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, usually children will start being interested in stories around about three years of age. Um, before that, we just look at pictures. And you can just go through a magazine or any kind of storybook or a picture book and you can ask them, show mommy the cat or show mommy the book mm. or show the ball. And that, that's the first line I, I can say to do. But then after that, yeah, when they start showing interest, but the more you um, actually read to them and you develop that interest, the, the earlier they will start being interested. But also go, each child is different. So some of them won't be interested in books but more interested in songs and rhymes then you go that way. Go with your child's interest as well. And, of course, uh, the, the, the uh, weaning of, 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 of either breast milk or, or the bottle, um, when, when do you start weaning them? Wh which is a good time to wean them? Um, the, the important thing is, again, that's a personal choice for the mum. Some mums breastfeed until they feel the baby is all grown up. But, um, yeah, I think about by six months you have to introduce extra uh, formula or start giving them solid foods because the breast milk won't be nutritious enough, just breast milk. Mm -hmm. So start introducing other foods as well. But then in between you can breastfeed definitely. And then by about the uh, age of one year you can go over to uh, the, the cow's milk and then about, about the age of two. To, to wean them from the bottle completely. Mm -hmm. Listen, I think this is a very interesting book. You're going to help a lot of, of young mothers specifically, even even older mothers who are having giving birth again, uh, because the coordination skills you talk about, and you know, and 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 a whole lot of things, but between and and how they play and what they play with and what to do with them, and I think it's 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 a very good compilation and and a nice checklist to have. Because, uh, as we all know, you can only influence a child's behavior until they're six, six years old. But from seven onwards, it starts getting difficult, right? Definitely. And they say also the first thousand days or three years of a child's life is the most important. So that's the time we should actually spend the most time with them in developing um, uh, their, their, their intelligence and their skills and their social skills. So the first three years are actually the most important. And that is when we think we cannot stimulate our child actually but there's so much things to do and that's also where the checkers is quite nice because it shows you if your child can do this this is the next step mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it also includes some age-appropriate stimulation activities to give mums and also in teachers and preschools ideas of what to do with the children in class, what is their developmental stage at the moment, what should we focus on, what should we build on. But also to see each child as an individual because one will be good in communication, one will be good in cutting, um, and to, to grade that according to the child, but because not all of them will at six months be able to do the same thing. Mm. So we need to differentiate between our children and children in class and, and help them to see where they are at the moment and what skills we need to assist them with, and, but then also to focus on what is the excellent things they can do and praise them for that to build their self-esteem. Carla, thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, Early Childhood Development Checklist is at the stores, right? Yes, uh, it got published last month, I think, in all the uh, big retail stores, but then also, yeah, the book can be bought from me as well. So, yeah, it has been... Give us your website, Carla. Uh, yeah, it's just it's www.carlagrobler.co.za. Carla Grobler. Okay, I've been saying Carla. Carla Grobler. Yeah, Carla is just the English version of Carla. <laughs> Fantastic. So, carlagrobler.co.za. Yes. Lovely. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you much. Have a nice day. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Early Childhood Development Checklist. It is now time for Nahibai.